Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, June 20th, 2022. Let's be real. If you're listening through this podcast, the last episode was pretty intense. We were looking at one of the most famous sins in all of the Bible. We looked at how destructive it was. We uh, even reflected on ways we have seen, uh, personally seen sin be destructive and ruin lives or families or churches. And maybe some of you even some of us, we look at the painful consequences of sin in our own lives, and it can be a hard topic to deal with. Hopefully, we saw some things that will help us avoid sin, but that the reality is, to one extent or another, maybe it doesn't feel like David and Bathsheba levels of destruction, but all of us have sin in the past. And all of us probably have some level of consequences for sin in our past. Is there hope there? I mean, hopefully, we, we know uh, we're, we're encouraged to avoid this in the future, but where, where is there hope? And even, where can there be joy? Well, today, we're going to be reminded of the joy of forgiveness, which lies at the heart, as we'll see even, not just of the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, as we look at some Psalms that David wrote in the wake of his own sin. Particularly, we're going to be looking at Psalms 32 and 51 today. Now, Psalm 51 is very clear. Uh, it says there in the, at the beginning that it was written in the wake of David being confronted by the prophet. Um, Psalm 32 doesn't get that specific, but by the content, it, it does seem like a perfect fit with Psalm 51. It does seem to match the events That the Bible describes at this time. Let's start there in Psalm 32 because you see instantly the joy of forgiveness. It says in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Sometimes you might hear that that word blessed can be uh, translated happy. And happy maybe isn't even strong enough of a word because it's this deep um, you know, sense of internal well-being that flows out, right? It's kind of a supreme happiness. Uh, supremely happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is covered, right? Well, what an amazing Thought And like I said, this lies at the heart of the Christian religion. Even these verses are cited in Romans. As Paul makes the argument, we are justified by faith. And it's this process now we use the word justification, that we are declared righteous. That the righteousness that we have is not something we have earned, but it is something that has been given to us. Almost in financial terms, it has been credited to us. Right? We have not earned our forgiveness. Our sin hasn't been covered through our works. It has been credited to us. Uh, right? you, you think of sometimes when something goes wrong with something that you're buying, then they're like, oh, we're sorry. We will give you a credit to your account. 
Well, God has given us the credit of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so our iniquity, our sin is covered. And that leads to supreme blessing. So yes, sin is serious. Sin has painful consequences, but there is joy in forgiveness. And forgiveness is possible because of who our God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ. Now, the next verses, again, are one of the things that lead us to, well, yeah, this this really fits in the wake of David and Bathsheba. It says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's probably something we can all relate to as well, where there was some time in our lives where there was sin and we knew it, but we, we didn't confess it. And uh, man, our, our strength was was dried up. Our bones were wasting away. It was a tough scene. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And, and so there we, we see, oh, I acknowledged uh, my sin to you, right? that confession brings that, that healing. Uh, hiding our sin and, and not dealing with our sin brings that struggle, but the confession brings this healing and even joy. And, and that's what you see more. Um, even look at the end, verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Right, that should be the mindset of those who are forgiven. Now let's go to Psalm 51. This psalm is very well known, uh, where it specifically mentions Nathan, uh, it mentions Bathsheba, and it shows David's prayer of um, confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Or verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. But notice you you get a sense of joy even in this psalm. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Or verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So as you read this psalm, I want you to notice just even what the repentance looks like and what that prayer looks like, because that is something we will need in our own lives. There are times where we're going to have to go to God and say, God, I've done something wrong. Have mercy on me. Uh, And that we can learn from David's prayer there, but also we can see that confession and forgiveness should lead to joy, right? He's calling for God to give him joy and gladness to restore the joy of his salvation. And hopefully we can experience all of those things. When we sin, we need real repentance like David models here. But also, hopefully that repentance then leads to joy, right? Forgiveness should lead to joy because it is not about penance and earning back the favor of God. No, what he's looking for is repentance. What he is looking for is is true confession and trust in him to help and to forgive. Well, you even see that um, towards the end of this psalm, and it's not all about the sacrifices and these things. Uh, Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not 
despise. In the wake of our sin, what we really need to see is brokenness. Uh, What we need to see is contrition. And God, he sees that and he blesses that, right? That's a sign of real repentance. And that's where we see real forgiveness and grace and restoration and joy. And we don't have much time to, to look at it, but it doesn't seem to be as linked, although you do see some cries for grace. But Psalm 86, there is just so much joy in this psalm and even just prayers for joy. Like verse four, gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, I lift up my soul. When this psalmist is looking for joy, even though he starts by saying, I am poor and needy, David says, God, I'm looking to you. I'm remembering what you have done. There is none like you. There are no works like yours. You are great. He directs his mind to God, and that's where he finds joy from. So again, we we had a an intense topic last time, the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of the consequences of sin. I hope today reminds us, yes, sin is serious. The consequences can be serious, but we have a God who forgives, a God who gives grace, and there is joy to be had in the forgiveness that only God can provide. Now, I had mentioned that this is connected with Romans, where it reminds us that we are saved not by our works, but we are saved by grace and through faith. So then where in the world does James 2 come from? That is our New Testament passage today, James uh, chapter 2. And it begins with really a warning about showing partiality, that if you show love and favor to the rich person is what's the example here, uh, as opposed to the poor person. That's an affront to God and the gospel. And there are, I mean, here it mentions rich versus poor. There are so many ways that humans have showed partiality throughout the years based on one factor or another. And this is another reminder that, that none of that really has a place in the church. None of that should have a place in our Christian lives. Our faith should transform our lives. And that's what it gets to at the end is it reminds us faith without works is dead. But it gets to a statement that at first glance, you think, well, that contradicts what you said, pastor, earlier in the podcast. And it kind of sounds like that contradicts Romans and Galatians in verse 24, when it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What in the world? You can see why even a theologian like Martin Luther of the Reformation struggled with the book of James. Well, what he is saying here is that there is a kind of faith that is genuine and there is a kind of faith that is fake. And he uses the demons as an example. Even the demons believe. The demons can put down the right answer on paper. But clearly, that is not saving faith. That is not effective faith. And then it talks about Abraham. He showed that he had faith by what he did with the example of offering up Isaac. And there, though, it quotes the same verse as Romans Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, this idea of being credited again to him as righteousness. So so what's going on here? Uh, Well, he is not contradicting Romans, but he is making clear that real faith produces works, so much so that if there are no works, 
the person is not saved, not because, well, our works earn our salvation, but he's saying if there are no works, there is no real faith because real faith will produce a change. Or one way, as it has been summed up throughout history, that puts it pretty well, is that we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone, right? Our works do not save us, but our works show that we are saved. We do not earn justification through our works, but if we don't see works, then well, then there is no justification because there is no real faith. Real faith will lead to action. At our church, we've often used um, the image of that, you know, rescue ring in the water. Um, you know, if you believe, if you're trying not to drown in the ocean and you see one of those rescue rings in the water and you see, oh, there's a lifeboat and this ring, I can hold on to this and they'll pull me into the lifeboat. What does faith in that ring look like? Grabbing on, right? And I think that's, again, the argument that James is making. Real faith will lead to action. And if it doesn't, well, then, then that's not real faith. It's just trying to tread water saying, oh, I'm saved without grabbing onto the life ring is, uh, is not real faith. And hopefully that, that can be confusing sometimes. That, that has caused people to wrestle with that. But this and Romans fit together perfectly. And again, uh, that thought, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Hopefully that helps us. And hopefully just what we see in James and what we see in the Psalms makes us grateful that there is a God who forgives. There is a God worthy of having faith in. And I hope that increases our joy as we think about forgiveness today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.